Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. And welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Mason. Watch us. MyLifeSports.com. You can reach us. Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Mace Denver at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to RMFP.com. In the meantime, Sasquatch and Wildcard Casino have another great giveaway up in Blackhawk, giving away a large model RC-104 Starfighter. What is that? It's a remote-controlled jet. And you have to see this to believe it. But if you don't want it, no problem. They're going to give you nearly $28,000 in cash instead. Grand prize drawings, March 26th and 27th. Get on up there. See how you can win. They also have really loose slots and a sports book as well. Sasquatch and Wildcard, a family-owned casino that treats you like family. Time now for the lead. The lead is presented by Smoke and Dave's Barbecue and Brew, Colorado's best barbecue since 2007. Go get some tonight in Denver, Centennial, Longmont, Lions, and Estes Park. All right, uh, Mace, you know the phrase, there is guilt by association, and you can make the case success by association. Kyle Shanahan and Sean McVay are fantastic offensive minds, some of the best in the business. As far as head coaches, which is a different skill set, they are both excellent as well. But do we need to be a little bit careful about guys from their coaching tree? I look at a guy like Zach Taylor. He wasn't even a coordinator under Sean McVay. Went from a quarterback's coach to a head coach with the Cincinnati Bengals. His first year was rotten. His second, which they won two games. His second year, even with Joe Burrow on the roster who did get injured, they only won four games. This year, they're in the AFC Championship game. But if they don't get Joe Burrow, Zach Taylor might be looking for a new job right now. Matt LaFleur, I have no idea how good he is going to be when Aaron Rodgers walks out the door. So now we're talking about Nathaniel Hackett, a guy on the not the Shanahan coaching tree, but you can make the case on the LaFleur coaching tree and Kevin O'Connell who designs the first, I don't know, 20 plays for Sean McVay and doesn't call plays. How much of a danger is it to believe that you're getting the next great thing because you are on the Shanahan and McVay coaching tree that every apple is going to turn out to be a delicious apple. Yeah, I mean, it's very dangerous because, I mean, even, you know, even the great uh, coaching trees had some ha- had some fruit that uh, wasn't as tasty as, uh, as others. And I think, and also, you also look at kind of multiple influences on, on coaches. Like, for example... Let's take Nathaniel Hackett. He's on the he's on a LaFleur coaching tree, as it were. But the guy that he has worked for a lot more is uh is Doug Marone more than Yeah. And that's yeah, the, not a compliment. I talked to a guy mm-hmm. who works in the Bills organization who covered Doug Marone, and I can tell you he was far from impressed with Doug Marone. Doug Marone is such a great head coach that he's currently the offensive line coach at Alabama. Yeah, now he's, I mean, go, coaching at Alabama, that means you can, you're kind of in your foot, in football rehab, basically, because 
the Nick Saban staff has become kind of the rehabilitation spot for coaches who've been fired trying to work their way uh, back into bigger roles. But it says a lot that he's thought of so poorly in Buffalo because the funny thing is literally the only winning season the Bills had for about a decade was on his watch back in 2014, but got sideways with so many people in that organization that he, he looked to leave and they basically said, Hey, don't, uh, don't let the door hit you where the good Lord splits you, so to speak. And who, and who was the offensive coordinator for Marone? That was Nathaniel Hackett, who followed and Marone to Jacksonville. Jacksonville. Yes. Okay. This is this is my concern about Nathaniel Hackett. Not that he's not a great guy. Not that he's not a motivator. Not that he's well liked. Not that he's a really good teacher. All of those things are positive, and those are really good qualities to have as a head coach. My concern is he brings in Marone guys as his coaching staff. That's what I don't want. We don't need to go back a decade or so and go to the Doug Marone school of coaching right? and bringing in his guys like a Gus Bradley. I don't want to see Gus Bradley as the defensive coordinator for the Broncos. Gus. Yeah. Yeah. Gus Bradley, of course, actually hired Doug Marone to the Jaguars at first as an assistant head coach. Right. Those are the type of guys we are dealing with. Of course, Gus Bradley worked with Dan Quinn. And in fact, Dan Quinn worked under Gus Bradley in Seattle. Right. Everybody, listen, it's <laughs> That's the thing. We can kind of go. It's amazing. The trees, they, the, the trees all entangle. You know, it's like a family tree where the branches actually circle around. That's what these things are at this point. Okay. You did a deep dive into Kevin O'Connell. Mm-hmm. Listen, for all I know, he'll be a fine head coach. Tell me what you found out about him that knocked your socks off that was impressive. Honestly, just that it, his over his intelligence is what kind of stands out. I mean, he he's look, if you're looking at a template and again, you don't we're, we're getting into the, the fruit of the family tree here. He certainly shares a lot of uh, intellectual DNA with Zach Taylor, with Matt LaFleur. I mean, he, he there's there's a there's a coaching mold, and he fits that. But at some point, at some point, it's not it's going to it's not going to work. The thing that I will say that I did like with him, a couple couple a couple of things. First first of all, did a did not do a bad job in Washington in in an, in in a in a circumstance where things were deteriorating. He was their QB coach pass game coordinator and then offensive uh, offensive coordinator and and did a did a fine job there but he's only been around the Rams a couple of years you know I'm not sure personally I'm not sure he's ready for to be a head coach just yet well who is the new director of Broncos personnel he just got promoted this year yeah Darren Muji who actually com- competed with him to be quarterback at San Diego State back in the day. With that, yeah. the two I've been told the two of them have a very strong relationship. Yeah. And it's that guy who pounded the table for O'Connell. That's the guy who wanted O'Connell to get a second interview. Kind, kind of, of like kind of like Matt Russell pounded the table for Vance Joseph a few years ago. There you go. And th- I'm sorry to say this, I'm just going by what I see. And this might seem like a per- hyperbole but give me just give me an example of somebody who has less. He has the least impressive resume I have ever 
seen for a head coaching candidate. Who? Ever. O'Connell? Ever. The least impressive. He has zero accomplishments to his resume. When it comes to what he has done with Cleveland, San Francisco, Washington, and with the Rams. Just as an example, you look at his Wikipedia page, and they, they go line by line what team he's been with. It's he was here, he was here, he was here, and he was here. Not that he had a top-ranked offense, not that he mentored this guy, not that he was part of this. It's just he was here. Look at it. I mean, the, the best the best quarterback he's worked with so far uh, is Matthew Stafford, obviously, this year. And then, I mean, no, okay. he, he, he had he, he, he doesn't he work. had no, the, he had the, the, he had Kirk Cousins in Washington, but he didn't do the work on Kirk Cousins. Kyle and Mike Shanahan did. The quarterback coach works with the quarterback. Well, and, and he the, and not, Kirk Cousins when he he was QB coach in Washington in 2017 when Cousins was there. That's why I bring that up. But again, like I said, yeah, it was the Shanahans that developed right Kirk Cousins. But at the end of the day, the offensive coordinator, generally speaking, does not spend as much time with the quarterback as the quarterback's coach. That's why Josh Allen has said privately, at the very least, from what I've been told, if Dayball leaves, Ken Dorsey needs to be the offensive coordinator. That's his quarterback's coach. That's his QB coach. I'm not suggesting O'Connell's not going to be terrific. I'm just saying his resume is beyond paper thin. I mean, you've got you have three coaches here in this in this mix. You have a paper thin resume, and I would argue that in some ways it's a thinner resume than that of even Gerard Mayo, who's been yep. a position coach for three years, because Mayo is a seven year team captain as a player. Yeah. So there's more leadership in terms of what translates Correct. to being a head coach. and But of these three, Hackett's somewhere in the middle. O'Connell's experience is it, it's a leaflet. And then you have Dan Quinn who brings an encyclopedia of experience. Right. Look, to me, looking at, looking at this as best I can with the landscape, to me, Dan Quinn's got to be the guy. As far as background and resume, I know everybody is hoping O'Connell and Hackett are the next great thing mm -hmm. because they had dinner, drinks, and they spent time in a film room together. Yeah, This just doesn't happen by osmosis. People are going to point to Zach Taylor. People are going to point to LaFleur, and I'll point to two of the best quarterbacks in the league. Yeah. And by the way, I, and, and Dan Quinn, I, count, I, th I trust Dan Quinn to identify the next offensive genius because he's done a good job identifying OCs over his career. It's going to be Luke Getzey. And that and you know what? Great. If Dan, if Dan Quinn picks Luke Getzey to be the OC, I trust him. He will. He will pick him. I trust I, him. I, I, I trust I that choice. Out. Yep, I do too. All right, uh, coming up after the break, we're going to go out to Wisconsin, bring in our longtime friend Bill Michaels from the Bill Michaels Radio Network to talk about who else? Aaron Rodgers. Is he coming to Denver and what does he think about Nathaniel Hackett? That's next. Watch out, boy. She'll chew you up. Oh, here she comes. She's a man eater. Oh, here she comes. 
Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Well, it's not going to be a free ride for the Broncos if they want to go after Aaron Rodgers. Welcome back. Afternoon drive. Goodman Mason, if you want to join us, Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Mace Denver at Eric Goodman. If you are looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. In the meantime, I want to tell you about Colorado Off-Road. And today is a perfect day considering all the snow on the ground here. If you need to upfit your car, your truck, your Jeep, your SUV, Colorado Off-Road is absolutely the place to go, not to mention they can get you something aftermarket. They install everything as well. Upfit today at Colorado Off-Road. They are Colorado-grown, Colorado-owned. That's Colorado Off-Road. Find them in Littleton or go to cooffroad.com. Time now for The Buzz. The Buzz is presented by Eric Cook at Farmers Insurance. The Cook Insurance Group, focused on people, not policies. Call today at 303-790-8089. That's 303-790-8089. All right, let's go out to the hotline. I'm going to bring in our friend Bill Michaels from the Bill Michaels Radio Network. He has been covering the Packers probably before I was born, and I'm in my 50s. How are you, Bill? I'm doing well. Uh, we're just trying to figure out what's what, what, what's next for our uh, quarterback, whether or not he's going to be around, whether or not they're going to sign him, whether he's going to retire. So we'll wait and see. So what is going on? Share with the class. What do you know? Well, I, I, I think there's a couple of things. First of all, I, most people here are still reeling from the fact that they can't believe they're not playing for an NFC championship next week. And uh, that was not expected. What we witnessed on Saturday night was a complete gut punch in so many different facets. We're also waiting for the word that Mo Drayton, the special teams coordinator, is no longer going to be a part of the team because that has been problematic all season long. And then obviously uh, Aaron Rodgers on Pat McAfee today waxed nostalgic about the possibility of retirement. Uh, He said unless he was traded or he came back to Green Bay, there is no free agency for him, obviously. So what's going to happen next and where he's going to be, he's going to have to let everybody know. But he said he will make a decision and inform the team and talk with the team prior to the start of free agency, which we know is the middle of March. So we figure about five weeks, and then we're going to figure out what Aaron Rodgers wants to do. But I've said all along what has to happen is Brian Gutekind has to say, you go figure out what you want to figure out and then call me, or I'll call you in about two, three weeks. But you got to say, first of all, Aaron, do you want to play? Okay, yes or no. If he does, then you say, do you want to play here? And then I think you have to basically have a very honest conversation with him and say, if you don't take a pay cut, there's nothing we can do. Because he's owed just flat out way too much money. It's, I mean, it's $46.4 million he's owed next year. And the Packers are already $40 million over the salary cap. So they can't afford him. They can't afford Devontae Adams. There's going to be quite a few guys. I mean, already Equinemia St. Brown is going to be gone. Marquez Valdez-Scantling is an unrestricted free agent. Uh, you're coming up at the end of the contract of Robert Tanyan, the tight end. I mean, you got quite a few guys. You know, Lucas Patrick, Dennis Kelly, Yash Nyman is a restricted free agent. they got all these guys they have to sign, and there's still $40 million over the cap. I mean, they've got some real issues right now. So what do I hope happens? I hope he comes back and – 
and they've learned their lesson, so to speak. But on the other hand, I don't know financially how they're going to be able to afford to do it. Bill, you mentioned Brian Gutekunst in there, and you know Rogers had has had some kinder words to say about Gutekunst, the Packers' uh, general manager, in recent weeks and, and months. So, do you think the relationship with the two, it, between the two, is an impediment toward getting it done, or do you think things have thawed out enough to where they maybe can work together to figure this out? I think they can work together. I think things got have gotten uh, a lot better. I don't know if they're you know best of friends and going to dinner together, but it, it's so much better than what it was. You see them talking in practice. You you saw them uh, prior to the game the other night, kind of a hug at midfield. Uh, and, and don't forget, Matt Lafleur has a lot to do with this. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has pined publicly, uh, both here in the media, nationally, and then on the McAfee Show for his head coach to be coach of the year and how much he uh, likes working with Matt, playing for Matt, and how much he thinks Matt deserves the accolades. So he's really kind of pined for his guy. And then he praised all the moves that Brian Gutekunst made. He praised Devondre Campbell and Rasul Douglas and Mer- uh, Whitney Merciless and, you know, bringing in, you know, bringing back Randall Cobb and, and putting in that veteran leadership and such. So he praised the way they manipulated the roster this year with a lot of the guys that went down and then came back and, and the way they handled things. I think, I think they're now to the point where they can have a real good grown-up conversation about what the reality is for the Green Bay Packers. But the, the question still remains, does Gutekinds feel like Jordan Love is ready to go? Because if he does, then this is all a moot point. But if he doesn't, and he saw what we saw, which is obviously his start in Kansas City, and then the second half of the last game of the season against Detroit, and everybody says, well, that was only the second half of the game. Yeah, but he took the starters reps in practice for nine straight weeks after Rodgers injured his toe during that COVID week. So it wasn't like he was unfamiliar with the offense. I don't think Jordan Love's ready. So to me... If you're Brian Gutekinds, you have to make peace with Aaron Rodgers, and then you got to go down the hall to Russ Ball, who's your finance guy, and say, how can we work this to not only, one, keep Rodgers here, but two, not be in the midst of a rebuild because Rodgers doesn't want to be a part of that? And really, I don't think he nor Devontae Adams should be. So now you got to figure all of that out, how you keep this team viable. And if you can't do that, then your hands are tied. And you, I think you pretty much trade them away and you start over. We're talking with Bill Michaels from the Bill Michaels Show. He has a statewide radio network in Wisconsin. If you had to handicap it right now with percentages based on 100%, divvy it up for us. He returns to the Packers, he retires, or he gets traded to another team. Oh, that's a great question. I'd probably say 60% of me says he comes back, uh, so I'm not anywhere near 100. I was a lot more certain during the season, but not now after listening to everything that's gone on and how Rodgers, after the game, said goodbye to a lot of people and appreciated a lot of people within the organization and within the walls of 1265 and Lambeau Field. So I'd say 60% of me says he comes back. Um, I'd probably venture a guess at maybe – you know, after that 2020 as to whether or not he would retire or get traded away. So uh, I think he's made peace with the fact that if indeed he can't play in Green Bay and it's not the situation that he wants, then maybe he'll walk away. But I, I still think that there's a part of me that if he would be happy in the situation he would go into, and remember, he really respects Tom Brady and wants what Tom Brady has, and that is 
a good say in an organization that's willing to put good pieces around them and, and make it work for another shot at a championship. So if he gets into that situation, I think he would say, you know, thanks, you know, for all the great years in Green Bay, but I'm going to go off to greener pastures and try to win a championship. But I'm split on that. But I, I think it's a 60% shot he's back. But if you would have asked me two weeks ago, I would have said 80% shot he was back. So I, th- this is diminishing as each day goes by. If he is not back, what are the chances of him retiring and what are the chances of him ending up specifically here in Denver? I, I think that if he looks at the situation he's going to and he likes it, uh, you know, I think he'd play. I, you know, I think he wants to be Brady. I think he wants to go and have a legacy that is extended beyond Green Bay if indeed that's the way, you know, the, the chips fall. But I know one thing, guys. Years ago, I talked to him two or three times, and he talked about being the best quarterback and having the best legacy in Green Bay. Now, you're never going to surpass Bart Starr in championships, but you could pass Bart Starr in terms of of Super Bowls in the modern era. Bart won two. Brett won one. He won one. And if he would play, say, another four years in Green Bay, he would have one legitimate shot at winning a Super Bowl or two, so he would then pass Bart Sarr. But in, a, in doing so, if you look at the numbers, he could pass and break all the passing numbers, touchdown records, yardage records, all of that. He could do that and be known as the greatest quarterback, not only in Green Bay Packer history, but in, in, in statistical history altogether. So I know that's what he wants as a part of his legacy. So I know he says he's at peace with retiring, but I think his competitive spirit to garner those records still remains. And his preference would be to do it in Green Bay. But if it just financially doesn't work out and he knows he's not going to win here, then I could see him going somewhere else and saying, okay, I'm all in. Let's take a hard right turn. Nathaniel Hackett. What are your thoughts about him, about being a head coach? Obviously, he's you know a finalist for the Broncos job. Uh, is he head coach material? Is he a brilliant offensive mind? Or is he off somebody's coaching tree? That's a great question when it comes to, is he a great offensive mind? Aaron Rodgers sings his praises and and loves the guy. Um, Talks about their relationship all the time. Talks about him and Luke Getze. And, you know, they have other interests that are more related to what Aaron Rodgers likes. You know, movies and philosophy and, and things like that. So they get along real well together. I kind of call them like they're in the Matrix. Those guys understand the Matrix. And so whether or not he's capable of, of on his own putting this incredible game plan together, I don't know because he's always worked with Matt LaFleur and Aaron Rodgers. And those three, along with Luke Getze, sit down during the week and implement the game plan. And then they tweak it to what it is they believe is going to work. But I know one thing, Luke Getze is uh, – or not Luke Getze, but Nathaniel Hackett is a guy that Aaron Rodgers praises when it comes to being organized and a leader of men – and being able to delegate and, and how he talks about all those intangibles when it comes to being a coach, because there's, there's two types of coaches. One that says, do as I say, or I'm going to make you run, drop and give me 20, you know, scream and yell, that type of thing. And then there's another guy who truly gets to know you on an individual basis, respects your opinion, wants to work with you to make things better. And that's what I believe Nathaniel Hackett is. And that's the reason Aaron, Aaron Rodgers likes him so much. If the Broncos hire Nathaniel Hackett as head coach, or 
if they try to get Luke Getze as offensive coordinator, do you think Aaron Rodgers would put Denver atop his list? Yes. I, I think he respects and likes him that much. If Aaron Rodgers could not play in Green Bay, that would be a place he wants to go because he would then look at it as, I have a say, I already have a guy in, in, in the locker room as a head coach that, that's willing to listen to me. And he already knows what it is I like. So they're kind of on the same page, how it comes to setting up the offense, personnel that he may need to make certain things work. So he, I think that would hedge your bets towards getting Aaron Rodgers if indeed Aaron Rodgers says, hey, there's probably a handful of places I want to go. This would be one of them because I've got a familiar face and a guy that I know I can pick up where I left off and I'm going to be able to work really well offensively with. Bill, really appreciate your time as always. It was a pleasure doing your show earlier today. It looks like the Packers and Broncos could be tied heavily together over the next three to four months, possibly with Hackett, possibly with Getze, possibly with Rodgers. Keep your calendar open at all times when we call you to bring you on again. <laughs> Absolutely. Hey, you guys going to be out, out in L.A. for a Super Bowl this year? We are not. Or I'm not. Mace, are you going to go? No, I'm, I'm not. I'm only doing Senior Bowl this year. Why, why do you want to do that to yourself, ah, Bill? Why do you want to go out there? Why do you well, want to do that to yourself? I know you do the show there every year. You know, because I'll tell you right now, it right now here it is uh, three degrees with wind chills of negative 26, and mm, it's right. not a bad thought to go to L.A. Okay, well, have fun. Be safe out there. <laughs> if you see a woman on the corner and she's good-looking with a short skirt, get, drive by. Yeah, <laughs> no way. Ain't happening. <laughs> <laughs> see you, Bill. All right, guys. Be good. (laughs) Coming up after uh, the break, um, I want to change this up a little bit. Uh, Mace, you and I have been in communication about this. I've been debating on whether to put something out on Twitter. I just did. Um, The news is out there that my very good friend, Les Shapiro, is in hospice. He's still with us. And I'd like to talk about him next. Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. Welcome back. Afternoon Drive. Goodman Mason watches MileHighSports.com. You can reach us on the Rocky Mountain Forest Products Twitter feed at Mace Denver at Eric Goodman. If you're looking for wholesale lumber to the public, go to rmfp.com. Unfortunately, we're going to talk about something that is trending. What's trending? Presented by Silterhar Mazda. Get to Silterhar in Broomfield for a no-pressure buying experience at Silterhar Mazda or find them at sthmazda.com. All right, Mace, I might have to ask you to bail me out a little bit on this one. I'm glad I'm not in the studio today. Uh, and I'm going to try and make it through this segment the best that I can. Um, I've known for over a week that Les was really not doing well. 
And I've been able to prepare myself for this. And for those that don't know, he has been battling lung cancer for years. He was diagnosed with lung cancer when we were doing the show together. So you and I, Mace, have been doing the show together for two years now, which seems hard to believe that it's already been two years. But he was diagnosed at least a couple of years before that. Um, he was an amazing man. And I don't want to say was. He is. He is an amazing man. He has mentored so many people in this business. Um, a very good friend of mine and a good friend of yours as well, Vic Lombardi, have been talking about this over the last couple of days. Um, I did not feel comfortable putting anything out on Twitter about this. I certainly didn't want to be the first one, but the news started to get out there today. Um, Paula's wife, or, or Les's wife, Paula, put something out on Facebook. And if you're on Facebook and you would like to go to Les's page while he is in hospice, um, whatever you want to write, they're going to read it to him. So whatever memory you have of him, please write something, and hopefully he will be able to hear what you have to say. Um, but it started going out on Twitter, and, and I was so uncomfortable putting anything out because I, I didn't know what to write. Les and I were radio partners for five years. Um, he was a friend well before that. Um, we worked together at the Denver Post on the, Den on the sports show. <laughs> We had always talked about doing a show together. Then when we finally had our chance, um, we did. And I remember people telling us, me for sure, but I know people told Les, how are you and Eric going to do a show together? <laughs> he said that the two of you will just go after each other and it's just going to be uncomfortable radio. And Les and I had talked about that. And we both agreed, not because we needed to, we both had such a mutual respect for each other's work ethic and 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 how we approached our jobs that we knew we would never really get into any type of brawl on the air. We knew that. And so those that thought that would happen, I don't think it really did. He and I would argue on air, Mace, as much as you and I do, which is rare. Maybe somebody tunes into the show and they hear you and I going back and forth. But with us, it almost never happened because I had such a mutual respect for him. And the same thing with you, Mace, as well. But... Again, I've known about this for over a week and a half. It's been able to sit in, uh, sink in. But as I typed this and put this on Twitter, I started to cry because I'm thinking, I can't believe I'm writing this. And I know that I'm going to probably find out through his beautiful and wonderful wife, Paula. Um, the, one of the greatest compliments I could ever give to Les is the marriage that he has with his wife, Paula. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I met Mandy and listen, my ex-wife, Rachel is lovely. We, we still get along very well, but I remember when I met Mandy, the highest compliment I could ever give him was, I said, Les, I found my Paula, meaning Mandy, because I saw their relationship and they have two amazing boys and I can't imagine what they're going through right now. And for Les, this listen, anybody dealing with cancer, it's difficult and it's hard. And physically, I can't even imagine going through chemo and mentally what it does to you. But Les is a guy who is so full of life and wants to be out at everything and wants to gather information. He wants to be the 
I don't want to say he wants to be the center of attention, but he wants to be in it. He likes to be part of the game. He loves his workouts at the JCC. He loves hiking Camelback Mountain. He loves being active. And I, I watched all of that be taken away from him because of cancer. And for as difficult as cancer is physically, emotionally, knowing him the way I know him has been absolutely devastating to him. The last time I saw him is when Mandy and I flew down to Scottsdale because we go down there, as you know, to play golf. And I I let him know that we were going to be in town in October. And he's like, Eric, I'm really not feeling well, so on and so forth. And I certainly understood that. Um, and when we landed in Scottsdale, um, we were like on the ninth hole on the golf course, you know, a couple of hours later and he called me and he said, let's get together for dinner. And I said, that's great. So he met us and I had to help walk him in and he, he, obviously he didn't look the same. And then in December last month, Mandy and I were back down there playing golf and he knew we were in town. And I said to Mandy, I said, I don't think we're going to hear from him this time. I don't know if he's going to want to get together. He's a very private guy. Um, I don't know how he's going to feel about this being on social media. But then again, the Shapiro family did put this on Facebook, encouraging people to write things. And I hope that he has the ability to listen to what everybody has written about him. Mike Pritchard texted me today. He, he didn't know, and he's putting something on Facebook. Tony Zarella, uh, a longtime friend of mine and obviously knows less from, from Denver, he just texted me as I was going on back on the air with you, mm-hmm. and, and, and I can't even imagine how he's feeling. Les was a great broadcaster, legendary broadcaster, but he was an unbelievable friend. He really helped me through my divorce. Really, I mean, I leaned, leaned on him when things were not easy. And he was wonderful. He really was. But his legacy in this business is not what he did. It's who he mentored. He mentored Vic Lombardi. He mentored Adam Schefter. He mentored so many people and he did it willingly. He wanted to do it. He wanted people to be great. And he wanted to spend the time. And I've always felt that your legacy and the soul of you that lives on is how many lives you've affected. And the numbers don't go high enough for the number of lives that he has affected in such a positive way, including mine. The, the gift that Les has um, is the ability to connect with so many people, but when he's talking to you, make you feel like you're the most important person in the world. Um. And I mean, I'm, I've known him for, for nearly 20 years now, and you, of course, work with him day to day. And I think of all the chats that he and I had, waiting for press conferences, waiting around the locker room. Um, and honestly, I, the, one of the things I miss the most in the last couple of years as our business has changed is, frankly, talking, talking with less. I mean, because he had, because he's been around this market for so often and, and seen so much that just by picking his brain, I always learn something from him. Um, I mean, as I, I wrote a little thing on, on his Facebook page and I said, uh, from the, from the fifth down to five days a week with, 
our mutual friend Eric Goodman. Um, is what I said. Is what I told him. Um, you, you won't meet a better person in this business than Les Shapiro. I'm yeah. convinced of that. I mean, when you do a radio show with someone, like like you and I do a show, you can make the case that you spend more time talking to your radio partner than you do your spouse. Yeah. And Les and I would talk on the phone two, three times before every show. And even when he left the business, he retired, whatever you want to call it, he and I would still talk on the phone all the time. And we would talk about things going on in Denver because I always wanted to pick his brain. And I miss those conversations. And I'll never forget those conversations. And I wish I could have more, but I know I can't. And that's that. That's, I, I, there's not much more I can say. Danny, what do we have coming up? Well, thank you very much for sharing that, Eric. Um, Les was a great guy. I didn't get to know him as closely as as you did, and I. But I did the video while Logan produced the show for you guys, and uh, Les was always always great to me, and always very very kind, and uh, definitely somebody I looked up to. And if you haven't checked out his on uh, We Are Unstoppable podcast that he did with Vic Lombardi, that's a great listen as well. So be sure to check that out. Um, coming up next, we will talk about if superstars should be officiated differently than uh, all the other players on the court and talk a little bit about the losses uh, on the field sticking with you a lot longer than the wins. That's coming up next right here on Afternoon Drive with Goodman and Mason on Mile High Sports. Drive with Goodman and Mason, presented by Silter Har Mazda. A no-pressure buying experience in Broomfield at Silter Har Mazda. Find them at sthmazda.com. Live from the Sasquatch Casino and Wildcard Casino Sports Desk, here's Eric and Andrew. I want to read something that was just put on Twitter in response to what I put out. And, and this just sums him up perfectly, talking about less. He said, devastating news. And I'm so sorry. Huge fan of Les. Love listening to the two of you on your radio show. Les inspired me to go after my dreams to become a sports journalist. What a class act and a legend Les is. You are in my thoughts and prayers. And you know what? He affected lives and he didn't even know it. He affected hundreds of lives of people that he did know, but I can't even imagine how many lives he affected in a positive way of those he didn't know. Time now for the final word. The final word is presented by the McKenzie Law Firm. Don't wait before it's too late. Protect your family by setting up a will, living will, or estate plan with Dan McKenzie at themckenziefirm.com. Just in case you missed it. Just in case you missed it, Rafael Nadal reached his seventh Australian Open semifinals after a four-hour five-set match in which he defeated Denis Shapovalov. Shapovalov was frustrated at the result and at the chair umpire, who he complained to that Nadal 
was getting special treatment. He was getting longer breaks and taking too much time between points. According to Shapovalov, we all know that certain players are officiated differently than others. Great veteran QBs, star players, etc. We've talked on this show about how Jokic doesn't really get the officiating that another MVP might get. Should all players be officiated the same or do superstars earn special treatment? They all should be officiated the same. I guess I've just accepted that they they won't be. Yeah. I mean, it, look, yeah. the, the the rules and, and the, the, a foul should be a foul whether it's a star or the twelfth the the twelfth person on the on the bench. But that's just not how it works in reality. And I've just kind of it's one of those things where you just accept it. It's not right. as long as there's judgment involved. It's not going to be fair. <laughs> right? Yeah, I, I I don't think anybody would debate what you said, Mace. And uh, <laughs> that's just that's just the way the world works. Yeah. Right. And here's something else, you know, another way the world works, the more money you make and the more people know how much money you make, the more free stuff you get. That's something else that's indisputable. (laughs) People want to buy your drinks and they want to buy you dinner, no matter how much money you have, because they just want to say that they were a part of your life in some way, even if it's a huge bar tab. Exactly. Just in case you missed it, Bills coach Sean McDermott said he will feel that final 13 seconds of regulation and the loss in OT to the Chiefs in his gut for years. Now, uh, looking back at the Broncos season, they had some pretty close games. They lost five games by one score this season. What loss do you think sticks with the players the most of those? Are, is it one of the close ones or is it probably one of the blowouts? Mm, I'd say... A close one that kind of lingers, in just kind of a, a general sense of things from covering the team. That the loss at Pittsburgh, where they basically they they screwed around for a while. They they messed up in the red zone early in the game. They had they 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 had a lot of mistakes in the first three quarters, and then they came storming back, and there they were with a chance to tie the game in the final seconds. And Pittsburgh, as we know, was not a great team at all. And I remember, and I even got the sense after the post-game press conferences that that was going to be the one that left a mark that really kind of sent them on a path to irrelevancy. I think that's the one that, that jumps out. What about you, Eric? Without pinning down a certain game, I think there are different emotions when you lose on a last-second field goal, like we saw this weekend. I mean, how many games ended on the final play? All of them. All and, of them, yeah. Right, and you think... What could have been? What could I have done? And that sticks with you forever. But then there's another type of loss where you get so thoroughly embarrassed and outworked that that feeling might not last as long. But and I don't know which emotion rides higher, embarrassment or what could have been. Both are strong. Mm-hmm. But I think it just depends, right? Yep. I think it just depends. When you look at those Broncos losses with Elway, early on where they were embarrassed, 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 mm-hmm. or would you rather lose like the Bills lost to the Giants when Scott Nord misses a field goal? I'll ask you what would feel worse to you. Honestly, you, you, the, the close ones feel worse because you found yep. yourself saying, "I could. what could I have done to change the outcome? Because one thing might have changed the outcome. Yeah, I've got to imagine that Browns one weighs pretty heavy on some of them, as yeah. some of the players as well. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That is going to do it for us, guys. Great job back at the station. Uh, Mace, great job as always. You as we too. get closer 
to a uh, new head coach for the Denver Broncos, Todd Helton, recapping our top stories. Did not get into the Hall of Fame this go-around, but his numbers in terms of the percentage of ballots that he got moved up. He's at 52%. And um, that's pretty much it. Make it the best possible light you can.